Hi, my name is Caroline Durham and I'm the Minister to Children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us. If you have a Bible with you today, let's go to the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 5. So if you've got one to turn on or, or open up, uh, Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And if you maybe are new in your Bible and you just kind of open up to the middle and you run in like a book called Psalms, just keep hanging to the right, then you're going to see Matthew, Mark, and then it'll be Luke and John. And so uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. And what we've been doing, if uh, this is first time in a long time, maybe you've been with us. Uh, we're just moving through the, the gospel of Mark leading up to Easter. So we're essentially taking a, a sermon, a chapter a, a week. And so just each week doing a different chapter and picking out some verses uh, within that chapter to cover. And so that's going to lead us right into Easter, Lord willing, on chapter 16 on the resurrection. And so I encourage you to read through the gospel of Mark during this time. If you're looking for just something to read in the Bible and say, I don't know where to start, Start with Mark and just read a chapter a day or, or two chapters a day. You'll get through it a lot, uh, but just read through uh, coming up to Easter and you'll stay right on track with us. But Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me open us another word of prayer. Father, uh, thank you that when we stop and think about our lives, we have every reason to praise you. And uh, Lord, I, I love that last song we just sang. Lord, as we get up in the morning and we go through this day, uh, when the day ends, Lord, help us to be able to look back and to, to see how you moved in our lives, to see what you did to help us, sustain us, protect us, lead us, guide us. Uh, Lord, help us to add all those 10,000 reasons that we get to say thank you, God, for being God today. And so, Lord, I, I just pray as we come to your word, uh, what an what a awesome moment it, each week this is to be able to open it together, to recognize its truthfulness and authority in our lives and uh, just to ask the Holy Spirit to, to work in a way that will uh, help us better follow you, Lord, and, and to love you. And so, Father, I just pray for those online worshiping with us today, those in this room, uh, that, Lord, you will, you will do a work in their lives. Uh, Lord, whatever they've brought into this place that they need to lay at your feet today before they leave, uh, I pray they will and ask you to intervene. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the way you love us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there was once an airline pilot. He's a pretty experienced guy, uh, but he came in too hot on the runway. The, the landing was just bad. I don't know if you've ever been on a plane uh, where they came in a little too hot, but I mean, they, they hit the runway too fast, and the guy like really just nails the brakes, and everybody in unison like leans up, and then everybody in unison falls back and all gets whiplash at the same time. Have you ever done that on the plane? right? That was this kind of landing. I mean, it was just, it was botched. He came in too hot, hit the brakes too hard. You know, the plane kind of bounced a little bit. Now this is an experienced pilot. And so he was super embarrassed by what he did. Cause I mean, you know, it, this, this wasn't normal. And so then he has to do that uncomfortable thing of standing there uh, at the cockpit door as everybody's walking by at the end. And, you know, thanks for flying. Hope you fly with us again. Have a good day, you know, where, where you are. And but he didn't want to make eye contact. So he's just kind of standing there. He's, you know, looking at his feet. Thanks for flying. Thanks for flying. You know, because if he makes eye contact, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to say something, right? So he, he's, I'm, I'm not going to look at anybody. Just thanks for flying. And so finally, though, he looks up. There's one person left on a plane. 
It's this little, little old lady. She's walking very slowly down the aisle with her cane, and he makes eye contact with her, and, and she comes up to him, and, and she says, son, bend down. I, I don't hear real well. And he was much taller than she was, and so he, you know, he, he bends down. And she said, I just, I got one question I need you to answer. She said, uh, did we land or were we shot down? <laughs> now, I, I don't know if you've ever been stunned, if you've been amazed, just had the breath taken out of you, didn't know what in the world to say. That's the disciples at the end of Mark chapter 4. Because see, at the end of Mark chapter 4, the disciples were on a boat and they were crossing over the Sea of Galilee and it's night and a huge storm comes up. Jesus in the middle of the storm is taking a nap. He wakes up and he says, peace be still. And when he said, peace be still, the storm suddenly stopped. I mean, the wind and the waves, they just stopped right there. Where the sea was calm, no wind. And the end of Mark chapter 4, verse 41, the disciples in the boat with Jesus are asking this question, who is this? That even the wind and the waves, they obey him. Who, who is this Jesus that is in the boat with us? Now, when he steps out of the boat in Mark chapter 5, and now it's probably daybreak, he's in the land of the Gentiles, and now immediately, verse 2 is going to tell us, he's going to come upon a man who is demon-possessed. And I mean, just right off the bat, Jesus is going to meet a guy who needs deliverance. Jesus is going to meet a guy who is just desperate. Jesus is going to meet this guy that other people had given up on, that he's looking at his life and he's thinking, I don't know what in the world to do anymore. I've got no way out of this situation. I need help. This is beyond my control. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe there's something going on in your life today where you're like, man, I, I, need, I need a deliverer. I, I need somebody to break the chains of sin. I need somebody to break this bondage that's in my life. I need somebody to make a way for me today because I don't know the way anymore. Maybe that might not be you, but maybe you know somebody who's in that spot. And what you can do today is pray for them. It's to say, Lord, I need you to be that chain breaker for them. Lord, I need you to be that way maker for them. And so this morning, I want you to see this man that meets Jesus, when we come into uh, verse 1, and what he's going to find out about Christ. Now, let's pick up in verse 1. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3 says, he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, for he had wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Now notice verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now notice carefully where Jesus is, because this is important in the story. Verse 1, Mark says that he's transitioned into Gentile territory. He's in the country of the Gerasenes. So this is Gentile area. All right, so now Jews are going to think that Jesus is coming to be with people who are unclean because Jews thought Gentiles weren't clean people. They were unclean. They were defiled people. All right, so he's going into an area with unclean people. Now notice where Jesus is. He's going into the tombs. That's kind of where he is. He's on the outskirt of towns out in the sanctuary. So now he's around dead people. And they would think, the Jews, that this area is an evil place. It's a dark place. And so here comes Christ. Here comes Jesus coming into an unclean area to unclean people to make them clean. Here comes Jesus coming into a dark place to bring light. Here comes Jesus coming into a place of death to bring life. What are you seeing right there? 
What should you be seeing is this, is the kingdom of God knows no boundaries. That the kingdom of God is not divided among racial lines, political lines, languages that are spoken. That the kingdom of God extends everywhere. So as the people of God, we extend the kingdom of God everywhere that we possibly can. But notice this man that comes up to Jesus. We read about him in verse 3. That he runs up to Jesus, and what do we learn about him? Verse 3 says, he lived among the tombs. So that means this, he's an outcast. People in town have ran him out. They've said, we we can't handle you anymore. We don't know what to do with you. We've given up on you. you got to get out. He lives among the tombs. The tombs are going to be on the outskirts of the town. So he's an outcast. But notice also what, he, what it says about him. No one could bind him anymore. He was uncontrollable. Look in verses 3 and 4. It, it says whatever they tried to do, whether they tried to chain him, they put shackles on him, they probably put him in a, a, a place, whatever they did to bind this man up, he got rid of. He broke free. He broke the chains. They, he was uncontrollable. But notice in verse 5 about his mental condition. I mean, this is a man that's desperate mentally. I mean, he's crying out night and day uncontrollably. Right? He, he needs help, and he's crying out for help. In verse 5, he's also physically harming himself. It says he's cutting himself with stones. So here's who this man is that now is in this position where he says, I need a deliverer. I, I, am, I am just desperate in this situation. This is his life. Maybe today that's, again, some of you, whether you're in this place, whether you're online, where you could say, that's me in some ways. That's me in my mind. That's me in my soul today, where I I just feel desperate. I'm desperate for good news. I'm desperate for help. I'm just desperate. And again, maybe that might not be you right now today, but maybe you know somebody that is. And I want you to notice what happens when this man meets Jesus. Because when this man meets Jesus, all things change in his life. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, verse 8, to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, verse 11, there was a, a great herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. Now, right here, we see a lot of talk about demons and demon possession and demons being cast out and demons going in the pigs. And so let's just do a little demonology this morning. Let's just talk a little bit about the truth of demons because Satan is real demons are real, and all of that is still very active within our world. So let's look at what the text can teach us about demons. Number one, demons know who Jesus is. I understand that. Demons know who Jesus is. In verse 6, when they see Jesus, they run up to Jesus, and notice it says they bow down to him. They fall down to him. They kneel to him. Now, if you've got a New King James Version, uh, it's going to say they worshiped him. 
Now that word worship there is not hopefully what you just did, and it's the same type of worship that you just offered up to the Lord, a worship of praise, a worship of love, a a worship of adoration, where you said, God, thank you for the way you delivered me and answered my prayers. And, And when you sang a few minutes ago, hopefully that was from your heart and saying, Lord, I love you. So when the demons do this in verse 6, and they bow to Jesus, and as the New King James say say they worship him, it's it's not that kind of worship. What it is is this, they're bowing the knee to recognize the authority of Jesus, to say, Jesus, you're in control of this situation. We're not. Jesus, we know who you are. You are the son of the Most High God. We know who you are. And, And Jesus, we know who we are. We're not you, and we know we're defeated by you. So we're bowing to you. You're our enemy. You're our conqueror. So notice the demons. Notice the truth about Jesus. And and I don't know if you picked up in it in your reading of Mark's gospel, but this is actually the third time, chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 5, that the demons have rightly recognized who Jesus is. So the first people really to understand who Jesus is when Jesus is here on earth is the demons. They know who he is. Others around Jesus hadn't figured it out yet, but they always rightly identify him as the son of the most high God, the Messiah, the Savior. Number two, Jesus, their demons know their days are numbered. They know their days are numbered. They know it even today. Verse six, they're saying, Jesus, we implore you. We adjure you. We beg you not to torment us. Matthew's gospel in this account says that the demons say, do not torment us before the time. Right? So they know their time is up. They know there's a time coming where they are no longer free to roam this earth. They know there is a time coming where they're going to be in the lake of fire for all of eternity. So even the demons today know this, but they don't know exactly when that time is. They just know they're defeated. They know there's a time in place coming in the future where Jesus once and for all passes down judgment on them in the lake of fire. So right here, they're like, is this the time, right? Don't torment us before the time. Is this it? Notice number three about demons is they know the power of Jesus. They know the power of Jesus. Verses 9 and 10, so interesting to me. Because notice this exchange. Jesus asked them, what is your name? What is your name? That's something that's interesting, kind of you'll see in the Bible when you're you're reading it. You'll run across in the Old Testament that that God will come up to somebody and says, what's what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Now, we have to understand this, that God knows their name, right? He knows all things. God's not like me, and God's not like you in the sense that you and I, and and especially me, maybe you've got this down to a science, but I can meet sometimes people, and they tell me their name, and then they walk away, and I'm like, man, was that Bob? Was it Phil? Was it Scott? Was it Tim? Right? I mean, am I the only one that does that? I mean, God's not like that, all right? God knows their name. But when God asks somebody, what's your name in Scripture? When Jesus right here says, what's your name to this demon-possessed man? He's showing his authority in that situation. He's getting them to answer. He's drawing it out of them. And so this man says, my name is Legion, for we are many. You know that term Legion in the Roman Empire? A legion was the largest unit of the army. And so a legion would be up to 6,000 soldiers would make up a legion. 
So notice the demons say, there are, we are many in this guy. So was he possessed by 6,000 demons? I mean, I, I don't know, but we know he's possessed by more than one demon. He had a lot of demons in him. But then notice the demons recognize the authority of Christ because they're asking, don't send us out of the region. They're begging Jesus, don't send us away. Don't send us out of here. We know you have power over us. We know you have authority over us. So don't, don't send us out of here. And that brings up the fourth point about demons. Not only do they know who Jesus is, they know their days are numbered, they know the power of Christ, but notice this, demons are always looking to something to destroy. Demons are always out to destroy. Verses 11 through 13, Jesus, don't send us out of the region. If you're going to send us out of the man, don't send us out of the region. There's some pigs over there. Send us into those pigs. Right? We, we want to go in those pigs. And then we know what happens. The pigs go over the cliff. Right? Here's the thing you need to understand, especially young people. I, I know in our culture, we are so obsessed with the supernatural and demons and horror movies and all this kind of stuff. You need to get this grip down. Satan does not love you. Satan wants to destroy you. God loves you. God is a God of creation, of beauty. Satan is a God of destruction. Satan is one that seeks to destroy, not love. God is a God of order. Satan is someone of disorder. God brings life. Satan brings death. And what you see there is Jesus did not kill the pigs, right? Sometimes people read that story and like, why did Jesus kill all the pigs? He didn't. The demons did. Because the demons are always out to say, we want to destroy and mar God's creation. And if we no longer can do it in this man, then we'll do it in the pigs. Now, did they understand the pigs were going to run over the cliff? I don't know. <laughs> but we know they did. And here's the thing you need to understand. Is Jesus is here on this scene. And he comes to a man that was just absolutely at the end of his rope. Who said, I, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. And maybe again this morning, you know somebody like that. Maybe that's you. And here's what you need to know about Jesus. Jesus changes lives. Jesus is a chain breaker. He is a way maker. He is a life giver. Because I want you to notice this man now in verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon possessed man. Now, notice this the one who had the legion, all right? So, once had the legion, he's gone, all right? He, he's, he's healed him that way. He is sitting, verse 15 says. He's no longer running around uncontrollably. He's no longer breaking chains apart. Now he's calm. He's sitting. He's clothed. He's no longer running around naked. He's got clothes on. But notice here at the end of verse 15, he's in his right mind. His mind, his spirit, his soul, it's settled. What's happened? Jesus has changed him. That's who Jesus is. He changes lives. And so as a believer in Christ this morning, if you say I'm following Jesus, but you are confronted with God's word, you are in a sin, 
The word of God comes in your life. The Holy Spirit convicts you, but you're not changing the sin. You're not following Jesus. That's not who you're following in that point. Because what happens as believers in Christ, as we learn to let Jesus enter our lives more and more, he changes the way we think. He changes the way we speak. He changes the way we love. He changes what we do with our hands. But if there's not change happening, then you're not following him because that's who he is. He is one who changes us. But did you notice the reaction of the townspeople? I mean, at the end of verse 15, what does it say? They threw him a party? They're excited? And they're, woohoo, man, this guy that we, that we know what to do with, Jesus just changed him, right? I mean, can you imagine what you just saw? You would think you would just, wait, whoa, all right. Wait, wait, hey, Jesus, don't move. I got somebody else, right? And you're going home, and you're like, hey, come here, Jesus, this one. All right, I'll be back. Like, I mean, like, wouldn't that be the response? Like, hey, Jesus, whoa, I just saw what you did. Look, I, I, I know people who need you, right? What do they do? Look at what they do in verses 16 and 17. It's absolutely amazing this reaction And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Jesus, you got to leave. Jesus, you got to get out of here. Jesus, you're no longer welcome, right? Now, why? Why did they not throw the party? Why did they not rejoice? Why did they not bring more people to Jesus if they'd just seen the power of Jesus? Do you notice verse 15? They're afraid. Now, number one, just try to wrap your mind around, if you're a herdsman at this point with all those pigs, you got to go back and tell your boss what just happened. Okay? Uh, Hey, boss, I'm sorry. We just lost 2,000 pigs today. How'd you lose 2,000 pigs over a cliff? Well, there was this Jewish guy who showed up and... um, the demon guy started yelling, and he told the demons to leave and go on the pigs, and the pigs went over the cliff. Uh, all right? Uncomfortable conversation, number one. Number two, what is making them so afraid is they have seen the worst case of suicide that they have ever seen in their life. You got it? There you go. Let it sink in deep. Okay, just let it sink deep on that one. Yeah, see, some of you are still getting it. You're processing. That's okay. I'm ready to move on. So here's really nuts and bolts why they're mad. Jesus just sent a lot of money over that cliff. That was 2,000 pigs. That was somebody's money. And they're upset at that. Number two, they're afraid. Because, whoa, 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 if Jesus can do that with that guy, what in the world is he going to do with me? Because here's what I've found about a lot of Christians and a lot of churches. They're okay with Jesus being around. As long as Jesus doesn't mess with my traditions, my comforts, and my money. Jesus, you start meddling in our church and you start meddling in my life with my traditions, my comforts, and my money, I want you gone. Because did you notice these townspeople are more comfortable in the presence of evil than they are in the presence of God? 
Because the way Mark writes this in the Greek language, in verse 16, when it says, when they saw what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, in the Greek language, the emphasis of the sentence is on the pigs, not on the man. And so I don't know about you this morning, but here's what it means to follow Christ. What it means to be a biblical Christian is you say, Jesus, you've got my money. I'll wreck my traditions. I'll be uncomfortable in order to worship you, follow you, and extend your kingdom. But these folks, instead of saying, Jesus, you stay around, we got a whole lot of problems for you to fix. No, 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 no. You messed with our traditions. You messed with our comforts. You messed with our money. And you got to go. But I want you to notice as we close, this man that Jesus changed Because the story doesn't end there. It ends with an important reminder. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged with him that he might be with him. Jesus, I want to stay with you. Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, wherever you are, I want to be. You've changed me. You, you, You have eternally, you know, just changed my world. Jesus, every step you take, I'm right behind you. Jesus, I'm right there with you. That's what he's praying, and that's what he's asking in verse 18. Verse 19, and Jesus did not permit him. He said, no, you can't come with me. But he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how the Lord has had mercy on you. And he went away and and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they all marveled. You know, what's interesting to me about this story is everyone in the story got their way but this man. Right? Stop. Back up. Demons, Jesus, don't cast us out of the region, put us in the pigs. Okay. Townspeople, Jesus, you can't stay here, you got to go. Okay. Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to follow you, I want to be where you are. No, you can't. Because what Jesus just did was he commissioned this man for a mission. He said, I've got something for you. I need you to go home, and I need you to tell people in this area what I've done for you. I'm commissioning you out on this mission. And here's what's amazing to me about Mark's gospel, the way this is flowing. This is the first guy that Jesus sends out to preach, right? We haven't got the disciples yet. That's next week. Hasn't told the disciples yet, open your mouth and tell others about me. Nope, hadn't said that. Told others that he's healed, be quiet, don't say a thing. Right here, this guy, the first guy in Mark's gospel, where he says, you go home and you tell your friends, you tell your neighbors, you tell your families who I am. So a formerly demon-possessed guy running around naked half the time is the first preacher in Mark's gospel. What that means is this. You have a story to tell if you've been redeemed. He had a story to tell. He was redeemed. He was changed. Your story's not his story. Your story is your story. Now, don't look at your story and his story and go, well, my story is not as cool as his story. No, 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 no. Stop. I've heard so many Christians say that over the years. Well, my story is not that amazing. I was saved at six, and now I'm 66, and I've been following Jesus for 60 years, and nothing like that's ever happened to me. No, no. Your story is amazing as a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? 
because you were on your way to hell until Jesus stepped in, saved you from your sin, made a way for you to be with God forever. Amen, that's exciting, right? I mean, thank the Lord for your testimony today. If you were that six-year-old who's now 66 and you've been following Jesus for 60 years, then what a story you have to tell of God's faithfulness in your life over the last 60 years, right? Maybe you and I need to recapture that old hymn that some of us used to sing growing up. I love to tell the story, that old, old story of Jesus and his love. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's this man. Jesus like, just go home and say so. So do it with me. Use your imagination for a moment. Let's put ourselves in the land of the Gerasenes. Because here comes this man on his way home. And he begins walking down Main Street. People are starting to whisper. People are starting to take pictures and text it to their friends. Who is, whoa, 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 hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's that guy. Not the guy from the tombs? <laughs> not the guy who was demon-possessed? Isn't that the guy that no one knew what to do with? Whoa, hang on, hang on. Then a crowd starts to form around him right there in the middle of the street. You seeing it? They start pressing in. What happened? What, what, what took place? How are you better? How are you in your right mind? How are you okay? Last time we saw you, you were just yelling out all night long. You're cutting yourself. How are you healed? Let me tell you about a man by the name of Jesus who delivered me. And after he finishes with that crowd, he, he gets to his house. There he is at the end of his driveway, and he's at first a little hesitant to go up. They don't want to quite go up that gravel driveway where he's got the cornfields to his right and to his left. He sees a little one-story house there. He just pauses at the, at the mailbox just takes it in for a moment. It's been a while since he's seen that house. It's been a while since he's seen that fields. He didn't know if he'd ever see it again. And they're coming running out on the front porch is his little girl. His little five-year-old daughter. And she's kind of looking funny down at the driveway. And he's looking back at her. And she just kind of, you know, pauses for a moment. And but Jen, she runs inside. She grabs her mom. She says, Mom, Mom, you got to come here got to come here. And out comes the mom. And there he, she is with her little five-year-old girl, and they're staring down that gravel driveway, cornfield on the right and the left, and there's this man. She says, is that daddy? Is that, is that my daddy? And all of a sudden, he starts running, and they start running, and right there in that driveway, they meet, and they hug. And she grabs his face. She looks at his, her, her husband, and she said, is that you? Are you okay? Are you home? I think I'd ever see you again. And, and his little five-year-old girl, she just tugs at his coat. He kneels down, he gets on one knee, and he wraps his arms around his daughter. Are you seeing it with me? She just looks at him, tears in my, her eyes, and says, is my daddy home? You, you okay, daddy? Daddy, what, what changed you? What helped you, daddy? What happened? And he grabs her, holds his wife's hand, said, let's go inside and let me tell you about a man by the name of Jesus who delivered me, who changed me. And this morning, you can meet that man. 
Because that man by the name of Jesus who changed that man over 2,000 years ago is the same man who brings change today, who makes a way when there's no way. He is a way maker. He is a chain breaker. He's a deliverer. He is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. I want to invite you to pray.